The reading tonight um, is Luke chapter 12 and verses 1 to 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Thank you very much, Ruth. I've known Ruth since she was a baby. She was at that church, the Baptist church in Lewis that I used to go to. And there's a few others, I think, sitting in the back. There's been quite a migration from that church to here, which is rather nice. So these youngsters that we've known all the way along are here, which is delightful to see and a joy. This is... um, quite a difficult chapter there's so much going on in it isn't there and it was in preparation for it I thought wow there's just like a million bits that seem to be disjointed and yet those of you that do preach will understand that when you pray and seek God's will and and what is this passage saying then it comes together and you ah, now the penny drops and that's the exciting thing about preaching It, it it comes together and that was my experience and in preparing this passage the setting is important, and we, we had last week with Simon preaching uh, Jesus' uh, quite strong discussion with the Pharisee. He'd been invited to the Pharisee's house for lunch, and Jesus didn't mince his words with the Pharisees. He was quite rude to him. And so then Jesus comes outside of the house, and we, we meet chapter 12 there, that he's outside. And looking at verse 53 of the chapter before, it said, when Jesus went outside... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. It's no wonder after what he just said. And to besiege him with questions waiting to catch him in something he might say. So Jesus is outside. It's it's after this lunchtime consultation or confrontation with the Pharisee. 
And what we have in in verse 1 there, meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another to get near to hear. There wasn't amplification system like we have nowadays. So they, 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 they struggled to get near and they were trampling on one another to be able to hear what Jesus was saying. And then in verse 1, Jesus began to speak to his disciples saying, and, and it struck me, what a privilege we have that we can listen to those words that Jesus was saying to his disciples, many of us are disciples of Jesus, without trampling on one another to be able to hear what he was saying. They were words which were relevant to those disciples, extremely relevant, more relevant than they realized at the time. And they're words that are relevant to us too. What a blessing we've got to hear these words, the very words that Jesus spoke. So let's just pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, it is indeed a privilege to hear the words of the Son of God. These are not just willy-nilly words. They're words of importance. And we pray this evening together that you would speak afresh to us. May we hear the voice of God. May you come thundering through all our thoughts and distractions and speak to our hearts and lift us up into those heavenly realms. May it be that God is speaking to us because you know us. Speak to us powerfully. Speak to us lovingly. Speak to us kindly. Use your rod of discipline. If we need it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this passage because that's what it comes over to me as Jesus' call to radical discipleship. Jesus is reaching the end of his life. There's three more months to go. And just a a chapter or two back, we we see there's like a turning point. In in chapter 9, verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So from now on, he's resolutely setting out for Jerusalem to complete and to finish his ministry there. And and what we have now until then is, is Jesus stopping off at towns and villages until he gets to Jerusalem for his final death and resurrection. And the crowds are coming to listen. And we have lots of teaching. It's almost as though the miracle bit of the Gospels are over and we concentrate on the teaching. Luke's Gospel concentrates on the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus is preparing his disciples. That's when the penny dropped for me. Jesus is preparing his disciples for life and ministry after he's gone in a very short period of time. They, like us, were a bit on the dim side. They just hadn't got it yet. They could never have got it. They had been brought up and taught that this the Messiah was going to come who was going to be a physical Messiah. They expected a physical Messiah, a physical Christ, to come and rule in physical Jerusalem, to get rid of the Romans and for for Israel to become like it was in the days of David and Solomon, a glorious nation, the best nation, the most powerful nation in all the world, where God's Messiah was ruling from. That was still there, and to the Jews of today it still is. They're waiting for their Messiah to come. And to rule in Jerusalem. So Jesus had to prepare them that it's not going to be like that. There's going to be a ministry for you. Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am ruling. But my my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. So, So Jesus is preparing his disciples for life and ministry in this new kingdom. Of which they're going to be big players in it. 
He's preparing them for spiritual warfare in the last days. The last days are between when Jesus is risen again until he comes again. We are also in the last days. And he's preparing them for the great cost of following Jesus Christ. There is a great cost. There was then particularly. There is a great cost today. So it's a call to radical discipleship. Jesus is preparing his disciples. And that, to me, is the summary. So Jesus is calling to radical discipleship, which requires, number one, verses one to three, radical honesty. To be a disciple of Jesus, you need to be radically honest. Verses 1 to 3. So we, we've had the Jesus has, has gathered, the thousands are gathered, and Jesus said, first of all to his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden, that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear and in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Jesus is saying to the disciples, the Pharisees, who I've just exposed, were basically dishonest. He calls them hypocrites. They were play actors. What you saw on the outside wasn't the real them. Like me, having taken drugs, what you saw on the outside was the normal fill. But what was going on on the inside was it was a darkened version, a sad version. Nobody saw that. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. That's a very strong, isn't it, description. On the outside, you're beautifully whitewashed, but inwardly, you're full of dirty, horrible corpses, dead bodies. Outwardly, they were respectable. Inwardly, they were full of greed and wickedness. Jesus had just said that to the Pharisee at his house. You Pharisees, you're full of greed and wickedness. And Jesus exposes them for their hypocrisy. And in these final months of his life, it's just as though Jesus has been holding back for the, for the, for the two years, the two and a half years, he just gives them both barrels. Look at John's gospel in particular. Jesus doesn't hold back with the Pharisees. And you might, oh dear, that's a bit harsh. They deserved it. They were keeping people out of the kingdom of God. They were, they were restraining people from, from entering God's kingdom, from believing in Jesus. They were making it difficult. They were standing against them. And Jesus here says to his disciples, you must not be like that. Be on your guard against such hypocrisy. Don't let it into your lives. It's a tiny bit of yeast, but it will affect everything. Be absolutely honest. Be active. Be on your guard. Don't let it in. And I think that's that's the lesson we can take on board. It's so easy to be dishonest, isn't it? So easy to be hypocritical. Well, nobody knows. Nobody sees. It makes a massive difference to your Christian life, to your Christian standing. Seek to be honest in what you say, in what you do, in who you are. It's vital, it's it's beyond important for disciples of God to be sincere in, in heart, in mind, and to be honest inside and out, in private and in public. Because verses two and three, God knows, God sees, God hears. So nothing is hidden from God. In Hebrews, we're told nothing in all creation is hidden from the sight of God to whom we must give an account. We must be honest. No secret sins for Christ's disciples. We must be radically honest in serving God. Verses three, we see that our words are important because our words betray what's really in our hearts. Matthew's gospel, Matthew 8, Matthew 15. 
verse 18 says, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Our words give that away. And God sees and God knows. Even the words spoken out of hearing, in the dark, or or those whispered in the ear, in inner rooms, those little whispers. God knows those. Even those things shouldn't be, because God knows, God sees, God hears. We say behind closed doors, don't we? Things that go on behind closed doors. We must be careful what we say. We must be careful who we are. Sadly, in my 50 years or slightly less than 50 years of being a Christian, one of the saddest things to me is knowing Christian people that have been one thing on the outside and another within. And sometimes it's been quite a shock and a surprise because you can't tell. You don't know. And my experience has been that that God is not mocked, that he doesn't want his disciples to be hypocrites. He won't allow us to be hypocrites. He will out us. I think the first thing he does is to warn us privately. He comes to us in our hearts and souls and he says, I know what you're doing. Don't do that. Stop doing that. And then he warns us two or three times. And then there is that public outing. It's almost as though the Lord says, okay, enough's enough. You, you are publicly outed. You are, because I want radical honesty amongst my disciples. So if God is speaking to you and you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, or whatever it is, then listen. Stop doing it. Repent. Turn around. Seek God's help and strength. Because he doesn't want you to do it. He won't let you keep doing it. It's dishonest. So alongside radical honesty, in the next, next section, verses 4 to 7, we see that we need a radical faith, an absolutely radical trust in God. Because we need to fear God and not fear people. Jesus knows what lies ahead for the disciples. They hadn't got a clue what was coming. If they had have done, they would have turned around and said, whoa, and run away. I'm sure if they really knew what was coming. We do. We've got the Acts of the Apostles. We've got the New Testament documents. And if you look at it, it wasn't an easy life for the disciples in the slightest. They were about to experience fierce and hostile opposition, even death. There's no teaching of ease and prosperity for Christ's disciples. In, in 1 John chapter 3 verse 13, the, the aged apostle says to his disciples, do not be surprised if the world hates you. We long to be loved. We long to be liked. We hope that the church, by being kind and nice, will be liked in society. So the world won't. It hates us. And we have to be kind and nice and good and, and all these kind of things amongst the people that hate us. I love verse 4. Verse 4, so Jesus turns around to his disciples and says, I tell you, my friends. He calls them his friends. Better by far to be a friend of Jesus even if it makes us an enemy of many, many other people. And it will, of all kinds of people. So how can the disciple face such opposition and such fear? Verses 6 and 7 gives us the answer. Listen to this, verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many 
sparrows. These are famous verses of scripture, aren't they? The, the pennies, that the sparrows sold for two pennies or, or two sparrows for five pennies or whatever it is. And also the hairs on our head. Many a joke has been said from the, the, the pulpit about the hairs and that kind of stuff. Interestingly, I had a, a photograph sent today by an old friend from long ago. When I, probably when I was about 17. I was quite a hairy thing in those days. I was like, and she said, you might recognize yourself in this picture. Oh, I didn't really. One, it was so fuzzy because it was the 1970s and cameras weren't that good. But there was this, this hairy beast there. I said to Alison, which one's me? But she managed to, to pull me out. But God knows. The basic thing is God cares. God knows. God helps. It's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He strengthens. If he cares for the humble sparrows that were pretty much worthless, if he knows the number of hairs on your head, the detail is so great, won't he also care for you? This is a very biblical kind of argument. They argue from the lesser to the greater. If God is so interested in that, won't he be interested in these other more important things? And, and that's it. Don't be afraid, says Jesus. God cares for you more than you could ever know. Don't fear man. Don't fear the hostility. Don't fear, the, fear even the death. Don't fear man. Don't fear things. But do, verse 5, fear God. Fear God. And, and fearing God is a great motive to radical discipleship. One, that we will have to stand before him in judgment. That we do have a day of reckoning. We need to be aware of that. I think we need to be reminded of it from time to time. It, it encourages us to be faithful. It encourages us to be obedient. And what we're talking of in verse 5 is eternal destinies. This is really important. This is heaven and hell. And they're words that we hardly hear nowadays. But these are words from Jesus, the Son of God. He alone knows these things. We are dealing with heaven and hell. It affects our eternal destiny. Hell is a reality. And these words are warnings from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's a tragedy, isn't it, that today, that there are many who fear the very things that Jesus tells us not to fear and, and fail to fear God, the very one thing that we should fear. We, we see a, almost a pandemic of fear, don't we? But they don't fear God. There's no mention from the BBC that maybe this is a call of God to get right with him. Shouldn't we be fearing God in our society today? We've turned our backs upon him. Shouldn't we be fearing him? Not a mention. Not a mention. But radical faith, radical faith slays fear. It's like David with Goliath. Goliath was a massive thing. And fear is a massive thing. I'm not lessening fear. It's terrible. It's frightening. It's like a Goliath. And it's, it's what do we can do? We're a tiny little David. But faith is our, is our little stone. Faith is our sling that we can sling and slay Goliath. As David did, it, it slays it by trust. The little pebble is trust. Trust not in ourselves or on our own. We can dig deep, but trust in the power and strength of God. He's with us. He cares for us. He's going to protect us in God's power. I love this verse of, of a hymn from dear old John Newton. And it's as though he's speaking to himself. It says, be still my heart. John Newton almost turns round to his anxious heart and says, be still my heart. These anxious cares, the, to thee are burdens, they're thorns, they're snares. 
they cast dishonor on thy Lord and contradict his gracious word. These, these anxious cares, they're, 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 they're thorns, they're snares, they're burdens. They dishonor God. They contradict his gracious word that says, don't fear, don't be afraid. So radical faith is needed and God will give that to us. It's a gift of God. Pray for radical faith to serve him faithfully. You youngsters that have been away that maybe you've, you've given your heart to Christ. I don't know this, this past few weeks. Then welcome to the kingdom of God. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. I say, I said in my testimony that life is an absolute blessing. But life is not without difficulties. Life is not, not without hardships. And who knows what's around the corner too. Next thing, verses 8 to 12, in our radical life is, is radical witness. Now, the call here is for the disciples to be outspoken in their witness to Christ Jesus. Jesus says, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, we are to own the Lord in our lives. We are to be out there in public witness. This sounds more terrifying than imprisonment and death to some, doesn't it? Oh, no, I've got a witness for the Lord out there in public Yet to this, the disciples are called. That's what they're going to have to do. That's the core of their ministry from now on is to witness to the the life and the resurrection and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And radical faith trusts God to help us to do that, to be the best witnesses for him through our honesty, through our speaking for him that we can possibly be. To acknowledge the Lord to acknowledge him means to declare openly by way of speaking out freely. We are to speak freely about our Lord. Like, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. That kind of witness. It's not that difficult. Well, it can be sometimes difficult. We need to be as wily as serpents. We don't need to out, be out there being stupid. We've all met the obnoxious Christians. I met them long before I was a Christian. That you think, oh my goodness, here they come. And the God Squad, we used to call them at school. There are ways, aren't there, of witnessing. There are ways that can be not that helpful. Possibly, I don't know. But there are, we need to be wily as serpents, gentle as doves, and ready to move. When, when the impulse of the Spirit comes, then share the gospel with whoever God God's maybe opens somebody's heart to them. So alongside the call in verse 8 is the promise that the Lord will acknowledge himself to the angels in heaven, to those, those faithful witnessing believers in heaven that are also there, to the angels. As we confess him as our savior here on earth, he will confess us as his precious children in the heavenly realms. That's a, that's a funny thought, but it's a kind of nice thought. Some of you older folks here can remember the days of the Tom and Jerry cartoons. Remember that old bulldog that used to have his little son with him? And he used to go, that's my boy. And he was always like, pleased. And in some ways, that's the, that's the force of this text. Jesus is pleased with us when we witness for him. He acknowledges us before the angels. They're doing all right. They're doing well. Good for them. And that, that's what's coming over in this, in this verse. Jesus acknowledges us. And then verse 9, we have a, 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 a biblical but. There are always problems, aren't there, the biblical buts? But there's always a but. What about those who publicly disown Jesus Christ? What about those who don't own him? What about those who deny him as their Savior and Lord? Well, 
According to verse 9, such people will be disowned before the angels of God. Again, it's serious stuff. So what does it mean to deny Jesus? What does it mean to disown him? The truth is that the believer, the true believer, is owned by Jesus Christ. He has been bought. He has been purchased by a blood so precious. They belong to him. They are his. And they acknowledge this birth. They say, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I am his. That's public acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. To disown the Lord is to say before others, I don't belong to him. I'm not his follower. When in fact you are. It's exactly what Peter did three times at the high priest's house. This very same Peter that's listening to these words of Christ. I wonder if he remembered them when, when he was doing his denying. When the cock crowed three times. This very same Peter denied his Lord Jesus Christ three times. Thankfully, Peter was deeply remorseful and he repented of his his grave failure. And as we know, the Lord graciously forgave him, lovingly forgave him, as he will do to us if, like Peter, we repent. Which leads us to a very difficult verse, verse 10. It would be nice to do a bit of a cough, really, and avoid this verse. I think that's that's the preacher's um, final way. (coughs) Excuse me. Right on to verse 11. But it's, it's a difficult verse. Verse 10. And it's the, 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 the verse that speaks of the unpardonable sin. But verse 10a speaks of something else radical. It, it speaks of a, a radical forgiveness of Christ. And then it speaks of a radical judgment, verse 10b, the second part of God. So we need to listen to these things. So the first part, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. There is forgiveness for all. The Son of Man is Jesus. The Bible is full of examples of people being forgiven by God. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a a sacrificial death. He rose again that all might be forgiven. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Forgiveness is what God does to the guilty to the repentant, to believing soul. Son, your sins are forgiven, said Jesus. This is the best news. This is the the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody here, somebody online listening is feeling that guilt of sin. Jesus can and does forgive us our sins. It's just as though they've gone away. They're forgiven, totally, absolutely, washed clean. All that you've done in the past. Peter's terrible denial was forgiven. He repented of it. This is the best news ever. Our sins are forgiven. Totally. Absolutely. That's the good news of the gospel. But, another but, verse 10. And it's a seemingly terrifying one. Anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Will not be forgiven. That's terrifying. There is a sin that is unpardonable. The Bible teaches that there is a sin that can be never forgiven. And that's terrifying. And some of us might might feel that, oh no, have I done that? Have I committed that sin? It's spoken of just a few times in the New Testament. And what is it? What is this sin? What does it mean to blaspheme the Spirit? Surely I, I do that almost every day. But what does it mean? Well, 
Obviously, I don't have the time nor the intelligence to, to go into an in-depth study of this verse. It's difficult. It's baffled greater minds than mine over many, many years, over the millennia. But let me share what I've learned and I believe is the unpardonable sin of, of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? Are you with me still? Yeah, yeah good. Yep, good. It's what the Pharisees of Jesus' day were in danger of doing. They were attributing the works of Jesus, his miracles, his healings, and his teachings to Satan, to the prince of demons. And even though it was clear and blindingly obvious that, that he was the Christ, he was the Messiah, he was fulfilling scripture left, right, and center. And, and the signs and wonders gave further evidence that they denied it. They denied that he was the Christ. They deliberately, they continually, they purposefully rejected Jesus and his claim to be the Christ. Also, they rejected his call to repentance and to faith in him. They were impenitent. They were fiercely, radically impenitent. And this grieved the spirit. They resisted the spirit. They quenched the spirit. This is the blasphemy against the spirit. And this hardened their hearts. Every time they did it, their hearts became harder and harder so that they could no longer repent. Their hearts were so hard and so rock solid, they were unable to repent. And it's repentance and faith that brings forgiveness. So if you're unable to repent, there can be no forgiveness because you can't repent. And I think this is what was happening to the Pharisees. They'd become so hard in outwardly denying him that their hearts had become solid and rock solid and they couldn't repent. They would have been in utter contempt of what Jesus is saying and warning off here. They would have said, not me. This doesn't apply to me. I am a son of Abraham. I'm a disciple of Moses. And Jesus said to them, no, you're children of the devil. Jesus spoke. He alone knew that. We can never say that. Now, does this verse worry you? Do you think that maybe you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Then if you're worried, then you most certainly haven't committed the unpardonable sin. If you had, like the Pharisees standing before the Lord, you would have no sense of sorrow, no sense of fear, no sense of remorse or repentance. Follow Peter's footsteps and repent of your sin. Have you quenched the Holy Spirit? Then repent of it. Have you resisted or grieved him? Or, may, or have you made known to you that, that when he's made known to you that Jesus is, is the Christ? Have you like resisted that, that knowledge that he's brought to you? Then repent of that. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be forgiven and you'll be saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's hard going, isn't it? You think, oh my goodness, who would want to be a disciple of Christ? Who would want to follow him? This is difficult. This is hard. And then the final two verses kind of just help us along with that. Because yes, to be a disciple of Christ is difficult. To be a radical disciple of Christ is really difficult. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. It was for these disciples. But what we have in verses 11 and 12 is the promise of a radical helper. 
Discipleship of Christ is not for the faint-hearted. It's costly. You want an easy life? Then don't follow Jesus. It's been costly down through the generations. It's costly still. Yet the call goes out to follow me through all the difficulties, through the opposition, through the persecution, through the misunderstandings, the floggings, the imprisonment, and even death. And as far as we know, only the Apostle John of the the disciples lived to old age and died a natural death. The other ten were killed for their faith. How can we cope? This doesn't sound like what I signed up for at the Alpha course, does it, this kind of life? But here is Phil as a witness that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. There are joys that are unspeakable, that far outweigh the difficulties. Our hope is not in this world. It's in a world yet to come where our hope is anchored. The good news is that for all our radical honesty and faith and witness, we have a radical helper. We have God, the Holy Spirit, in verse 11, to strengthen us. When... For the disciples of Jesus' day, you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities. You will be helped in what you say and in your defense, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. The Holy Spirit is God with us, the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God, the supernatural gifts of God, the fruit of righteousness, the words we need to say in times of crisis and witness are brought to us. By God the Holy Spirit. Friends, brothers and sisters here at BH tonight and those who are listening online. God is our Heavenly Father. We can trust him. He's calling us to be disciples of Christ. Just as he did in that first century. So radical honesty. Radical faith. Radical witness. He promised us radical forgiveness. And he promises a radical helper. Can you respond? to this call tonight have you responded to it will you respond again then join with me now in a a prayer to our amazing God let's pray together in full and glad surrender I give myself to thee thine utterly thine only and ever more to be in Jesus name Amen